Greg Wilpert, guest host for the Analysis.News podcast. Last Sunday, Bolivians returned to voting centers to cast ballots for president and for the legislature, and exit polls suggest that the movement towards socialism, the former governing party under Evo Morales, won this election resoundingly with just over 50% of the result. The election took place almost exactly a year after the October 20th, 2019 election, which had ended in controversy because the opposition and the Organization of American States claimed that widespread fraud had taken place. Eventually, on November 10th of last year, following anti-government protests and rebellions among the police and an ultimatum from the Bolivian military, President Evo Morales was forced to resign. Morales fled into exile, first to Mexico and then Argentina. Meanwhile, a far-right government took over under interim president Janine Añez, who became president under highly questionable circumstances. Waves of violence, including two massacres against supporters of Evo Morales, took place in the following months. Joining me now to discuss the outcome of Sunday's election in Bolivia is Catherine Lederberg. She is director of the Andean Information Network and a researcher, activist, and analyst with over two decades of experience in Bolivia, who joins me from Cochabamba, Bolivia. Thanks for being on the program again, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. So let's start with what you what we know about the results of the Sunday election. Um, that is, you know, what, what do we know in terms of what the outcome was, and when do, can we expect the official results? Well, as usual, as is typical in Bolivia elections, the the official results take two or three days. What we know from the exit polls, and they were exit polls that were delayed until past midnight last night, is that it's, it seems clear that Moss has won the presidency in the first round. Uh, the opposition candidates, the interim government, and even the U.S. State Department has accepted that Luis Arce is president-elect. And so, although we wait for official confirmation, it, it's quite clear uh, that Moss has won, that they've won by a sufficient margin to take the presidency, that they should be inaugurated in the next several weeks. It remains to be seen whether the Bolivian armed forces and the irregular para-state groups will accept this decision. You know, the Organization of American States Inter-American Human Rights Commission was supposed to begin its work on the investigation of the gross human rights violations that occurred during the coup and the Anya's government, but Anya's officials continued to pressure to impede those transparent investigations. So we have an electoral win, we have a clear leader, we have an electoral process and delays in the process that cast significant doubt upon the OAS allegations of fraud in the previous election. And, and so I think it calls for a moment of reflection about Bolivian democracy, about what has happened and the atrocities of the past year, and what is the best way to move forward to respect the rights of all Bolivians and to move out of this morass of repression, racism, and polarization that Bolivia has found itself in for the past year. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I mean, sometimes, not always, but sometimes when there is a controversial election, 
uh, there's some effort to try to make the following election a little bit more transparent, uh, a little bit uh, cleaner, uh, and uh, and to basically improve the process. Did that happen for this uh, election, or is that something that still needs to be done? Well, it's interesting because the allegations of fraud in the previous election were based largely on a delay in the preliminary results through a computer program, a, a freezing of the results, and a, a, an alleged discrepancy in, in the vote count. I, I mean, I, I think that it's pretty ironic that the night before the election, Saturday night, the new Bolivian Electoral Court said it had decided to do away with their new preliminary results program at, because they thought that it was problematic and that that was not a necessity and that they were going to focus on the initial count. That pretty much blows out of the water the whole reasoning for fraud accusations in the previous election. But looking forward, what we have are clear results and a clear mandate from Moss, uh, for Moss. I think that it's really important to note that after, during the coup and with the political persecution that we saw, people were very afraid. And the Bolivian press did not cover uh, human rights violations and repression. Uh, the community radios and the left-leaning press outlets were silenced and threatened and, and abused. And so there was a lack of information about what was going on and a, a movement of paid accounts in, in uh, social media that suggested uh, widespread support for Anya's, widespread support from the right. Uh, polls didn't reflect the strong level of uh, support for Moss. And I think it's common sense. I think there's always been strong support for Moss, and there was a portion of the Bolivian electorate that had become disenchanted or weren't in agreement with a fourth term for Morales. But the situation now is very, very different. I think that all Bolivians had a taste of how bad things could actually be. And undoubtedly, there were mistakes in the uh, Morales administrations and things they could have done better. But I think nothing compares to the repression and the violence and the corruption and the racism and, and the hate that this interim government stoked. Basically, with the support of the Trump administration, with the support of other opposition candidates, with the support of Carlos Mesa, who had uh, presented himself as a moderate candidate, but who didn't denounce the violence and consistently sided with the far right on most issues. Hmm. I mean, one thing, that, of course, that uh, is interesting, and you briefly touched on that, is of course the role of the OAS. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to suggest that we get into that right now because we have discussed that in previous uh, uh, interviews, actually the previous one that we did a couple weeks ago, but. Um, I think it's uh, that's something, of course, important to keep uh, in mind is is the extent to which uh, the OAS played an important role in distorting the actual result uh, by by making a declaration that was not based on any kind of uh, solid uh, foundation in terms of uh, suggesting that there was fraud that took place. And I'm just wondering, uh, has there been any kind of uh, reflection since then about the role of the OAS uh, in this election? Well, I think that there's been a lot, a lot of reflection, but right now, 
uh, Bolivians and, and the left is really focused on the vote count and making sure that this time it's reported accurately and that uh, there is a peaceful transition to democracy and, and, that, and that justice is done. Because I, I think that it, it's clear that what happened last year was a coup and that it was based on a false premise. And that this year things need to be different. And, and how we move forward, I, I think that Moss has expressed um, a very measured view of focusing on progress and, and not revenge. But justice is the foundation for all of this. And that means accountability for human rights violations. And that means... Uh, assistance for the affected families, and that means a liberation of the political prisoners and an end to the political persecution. And I think without that, we can't move forward. And without recognition on the part of the international community that that has occurred and that these errors have to be corrected, we're not going to make any progress. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, turning to, I mean, you already started talking about this now, but um, what can we expect? Um, uh, from uh, Luis Arce uh, as the president, uh, you know, and the leader of the movement towards socialism, the MAS. Well, I think that we can expect from Luis Arce and David Choquehuanca because I think it's very much uh, a team. It's not a first and second place. It is uh, uh, a rethinking of Bolivian government, a focus on new leadership, a focus on rebuilding the economy and on health care and social justice issues and a systematic approach to rebuilding state institutions which were dismantled. They need to look carefully at justice. The rule of law is crucial. And the economically, what, what, what do you, I mean, Luis Arce, as I mentioned earlier, was the finance minister under Evo Morales. Is this going to be a continuation in that sense uh, of uh, the Morales presidency, economically speaking, do you think? Well, I, yes, because I think that, the, you know, Arce was an art, the architect of the Bolivian microeconomic vision. And we're starting now in a hole because it's incredible after 14 years of sustained growth. Um, and a prudent fiscal policy um, that the Anya's administration was able to, to throw Bolivia in a hole of debt almost immediately. It's not clear when the government takes over if there's any money left in the coffers. They've taken out many loans from the IMF that are going to have to be addressed. They may have dipped into pension funds. They've uh, sacked the state um, companies and industries. And we have no idea what happened to the hundreds of millions of dollars of COVID aid uh, that the Anya's government received. But I can guarantee you it didn't go to COVID relief and it wasn't distributed to rural governments and it wasn't distributed to social organizations. Um, and so where that money is, it's anybody's guess. So it's really going to be a slow process of rebuilding, but Moss has a plan and a vision, and certainly Arce does, and I think that they, they have the best 
bet of how to rebuild Bolivia's economy because right now it's in tatters and it only took a year to do it. Speaking of COVID, um, I mean, one of the things that uh, seems to stand out is that uh, that the that Bolivia has one of the highest death rates in Latin America with respect respect to uh, COVID infections. And so, um, is there any indication as to how a an Arce Chocahuanca government will try to deal with the pandemic? Um, well, they've talked about a focus on healthcare. I, I think that they're they. They're much better at economic management. I think that they're, they're going to have to get in there to see. But, but the important thing to note about the previous Moss government and, and Moss supporters is that they have some really skilled people. They have public health experts. They have people who have concrete experience. And the health issue, I think we can look at renewed assistance from Cuba, and Cuba has done an excellent job in dealing with the pandemic. So, you know, a lot of details are not clear, and the political persecution has been so acute that there hasn't been a possibility for Moss to emit a plan. But what we do know is that there's a much stronger commitment to the grassroots. There's a much stronger level of consultation with social movements and rural areas where they can more aptly identify the needs and assure that the necessary assistance makes it to them. And that's just crucial. That actually brings me to my next question, which is that historically, it seems that the, uh, one of the reasons that the uh, government under Evo Morales was relatively successful is precisely kind of the uh, confluence or working together of uh, the government and the social movements. Of course, there's you know divisions and there's you know different currents and so on. What does it look like now in terms of social movements in Bolivia? Are they uh, firmly behind the Arce government, or is there kind of a questioning? Are they pushing the government in a particular way? Uh, what's what's your analysis? Of well, that? yes. They are. They're firmly behind the Arce government. Even uh, Felipe Quispe Huanca, El Mailcu, has, has backed the Arce government. But that doesn't mean it's a blank check. I, I really have a strong rejection of the mainstream English language press that presents these social movements as zombies blindly following non-thinking beings. No. Each group has its own interests and its concerns. Each group will expect to be heard. They'll expect an inclusive government, and, and it will be a process for the Arce government to negotiate and, and to consult. You know, this image of Abel Morales making every decision unilaterally is really not a reflection about how Moss worked ever. The strongest voice was Morales, but there are really many voices and many interests, and it's a constant process of consensus and negotiation. And that's something that Arce and Chokewanka will have to do, and they, and they know that, and they're ready to do that. Um, but it's not an easy thing, nor should it be. And what about um, the right, the far right? I'm particularly thinking about Johnny Nanez, who withdrew shortly before the election uh, from running, even though uh, she had originally said that she wasn't going to run, but then she realized that she was dividing the far right vote. And then, of course, there's Luis uh, Fernando Camacho, who uh, is, represents the other faction of the far right. 
uh, who only looks like, according to the exit polls, didn't get very much of a vote, but still seems to represent a particularly uh, vocal and uh, perhaps at least economically strong faction uh, in Venezuela. Uh, sorry, in Bolivian life. What What do you think they're going to do? What's the, What's been their reaction so far to Arce's election? Well, you know, Anya's has accepted it verbally. Um, I, I don't think she's pleased with it. Certainly her withdrawal was a, with the race was something that was calculated and negotiated for a Mesa win and negotiated, I'm sure, with conditions of impunity and, uh, you know, a return to broker democracy where her party and, and her cronies got a chunk. I don't think she's that different from Camacho, really. So far, Camacho hasn't said anything, and we've just seen him cry on TV. But, you know, although Agnes will probably end up in Boca Raton or Rio de Janeiro with her other cabinet members, I think the far right's not going away. The far right has never played a fair fight. They've never actually engaged in a campaign in a meaningful way or engaged with the great bulk of the Bolivian population. And I think, you know, the kind of hijinks and undermining behavior that we saw throughout the administration of Evo Morales, but that met this crescendo with this Trump-like far-right, uh, really fascist focus, is going to go now behind the scenes. I think that they've been discredited and that they did worse than anybody expected them to, but that doesn't mean that these high-level uh, economic interests are going away. And I really, I, I, do, I think that Anya's, both Anya's and Camacho are the figureheads or the dummies for the more powerful ventriloquists and economic uh elites that are pulling the strings from behind. And so they, they may go away and their faces may change, but, but I don't think those interests and that ill intent is, is going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, there's a rumor that Camacho may run for governor of Santa Cruz in the upcoming uh, departmental and municipal elections, uh, he still has a great deal of support in urban Santa Cruz, and I assume that they will keep trying to exacerbate those uh, class and and regional cleavages to the greatest extent possible. Hmm. Now, you mentioned the uh, elite economic interests, and actually Evo Morales in um, the aftermath of the coup against him last year, actually at one point I believe called the coup a lithium coup, uh, alluding basically to uh, the, the strong transnational economic interest behind exploiting uh, Bolivia's uh, lithium uh, deposits, uh, which are absolutely essential actually for the growing uh, market and batteries. And so I'm just wondering if um, if uh, the new government, the ASE government, has uh, said anything about what it plans to do about uh, these kinds of, uh, well, basically the policy of extractivism, as many have called it. Uh, Bolivia is also a big uh, producer of natural gas. Um, I mean, is there going to be any kind of... Uh, shift in policy towards extractivism, which has been criticized also by some people on the left, or um, uh, how do you see that developing? 
Well, I think that the, the idea that it was a lithium coup is kind of a, a metaphor for Bolivia's national resources and natural resources, and it's it, it's much more complex than just lithium. Um, and but uh, but I think that those interests were there, and I think the interest to sell off these state companies, you know, amongst cronies and for for personal gain. Were, was a very key part of this coup, although a lot of it was also revenge and punishment and political power. I, the, you know, the, the Morales administration had a very solid plan for lithium where the power and the wealth remained in Bolivian hands, but the technical capacity was part of a consortium with German companies that was going to allow them to... Um, to produce batteries within Bolivia and for Bolivia to have that added value. It's my assumption, although I can't promise you that, that those agreements will be reinitiated. Uh, formally, the, uh, the RC team has spoken of, you know, looking at ways to move beyond uh, extractive industries. And to look for alternatives and to make things more sustainable and environmentally sound in the long term. In the short term, with the economic crisis facing Bolivia due to mismanagement and the pandemic, I think it's going to be harder to break away from extractive industries in the very short term. But that there is a recognition of the problematic nature of a focus on extractive industries and hydrocarbons and the need to expand. Um, we will see how that goes and we'll hope for the best. Hmm. Okay. Well, on that note, I think we're going to leave it there for now. Uh, I was speaking to Catherine Ledimer, director of the Andean Information Network based in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Thanks again, Catherine, for having joined me today. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. And I'm Greg Wilpert, guest host for the analysis.news podcast. Uh, please visit our website where you can donate to keep this podcast and the website going. Thank you.